I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured in Celluloid, a podcast about movies. This time, we are going to talk about the films of Robert Eggers, and specifically, The Northman, his Viking epic that was released a few months ago now, um, a film that we did talk about pretty briefly. We held back because we had plans to do this when we did our respective midway 2022 top 10 ranking so far but we'll get into that a lot more now along with just more general thoughts on robert eggers a filmmaker who has long been a favorite of my co-host andrew snyder andrew how are you i'm i'm doing okay adam Uh, every day sends us spiraling into um a small shack upon an island with a lighthouse as we descend further into madness. So I'm mid madness. You, you right and now. I? Or I just, I, wanna, I, 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 I don't know if I want to be the, in the lighthouse with you. The royal we, just in general, <laughs> okay. us as a society, we're really trapped in a lighthouse. And I am, uh, I'm like mid, mid lighthouse journey right now. That's where I'm at. But so mostly good. <laughs> Good, good. Mid lighthouse journey. I don't know if it's as good as I'd like it to be, but hey, maybe it's the right headspace to be in for this particular episode. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more generally. I'll give some more background to Robert Eggers in a moment. But this is a filmmaker that I instantly associate with you, that I think his feature film career essentially spans the time that we know each other and the time that we have whether on microphone or off talked about movies when the witch came out in 2015 that would have been in the very early days of us getting to know each other and i do remember you being quite a a vocal advocate for that film i hadn't actually seen it at the time and you were quite the fan and you made a compelling case that eventually made me check it out but that means you were in on Robert Eggers from the get-go. And I have since, you know, I haven't heard any indication from you that that has changed. If anything, it seems to you get more excited, you appreciate him more and more with each passing movie. So before we get into details on some of these films, on what they're about, and some of the things that Eggers brings to his work on him as an individual, as a filmmaker, I want to start with Andrew Snyder. What is it about Robert Eggers, Robert Eggers films that works for you or that interests you that kind of has to me, like in my head, he's locked in as, oh, that's Andrew's guy in terms of relatively young, still newish filmmakers who've emerged in the last decade, we'll say this is the filmmaker that I think I first associate with you. And I, you know, people can read into that whatever they choose to given the subject matter of the films, but they're the facts, Andrew. So what is it about Robert Eggers that you respond to? I think what I respond to most, and first of all, I want to say it's very, very, very strange to think of any moment in time where I would have been first to something in the realm of films being released. Maybe there were some release schedule issues that meant you couldn't get it first. Who knows? You're you're just not brave enough to send me recommendations anymore. This is the problem. It rarely goes well when that happens. But I think what stands out to me most about him and what I appreciate about all his films, and 
especially his second film, but still still starting with The Witch when he hooked me uh, for the first time. Uh, I think it's that he's just uncompromising in what he's doing in each story. He has something, a story he wants to tell, and visually and thematically, he's going to stick to that plan and what he what he envisions for his story and he's not going to deviate whether or not it makes that inaccessible to an audience or even critics i would say i don't he doesn't strike me as a person that cares about any of that he's had successes and i guess uh failures to that degree i mean completely different filmmakers but one of the things that i think i was we were saying we respected last week about baz lerman is baz lerman's gonna do what is in baz's brain and that's what he's going to do. And he's done it to great uh, financial success for most of his films. I think all of his films, if who knows, it was a week ago. Uh, and Robert has done similar, similarly uh, with The Witch anyway, made a decent return on that $4 million budget, uh, $40 million box office. The Lighthouse in the North been less successful in the financial regard. But I'm just glad that he's a filmmaker who doesn't, sell out for what he thinks is going to get the most eyeballs and most dollars into his pocket. And so that's something that has long stood out to me about his films and just uh, that they might be hard. They're very hard as like an entry point into viewing it. If you just sit down or like, I'm going to watch the witch or the lighthouse. It just, it may not be instantly something that grabs you. And I think I've always just had a willingness to give myself over to whatever he's trying to do. And so that makes me look forward to each subsequent subsequent role. And I think because of that mindset I go into it with, I might just be more geared to uh, kind of overlook flaws and really just try and get inside and find what I like about his movies. And, and, and also he, the witch is what introduced me and I guess the acting or the film viewing world at large to Anya Taylor-Joy. And she's an actress that I, I'm a big fan of now and I'm very compelled by anything she chooses to do. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's also probably part of it. Uh, because you know, if there's no, the witch, is there an Anya Taylor joy? Who knows? Well, I, she would still exist, but you know, she would definitely exist. I think that, that much is fair. Um, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I think he is a very, very singular voice, a very, very singular filmmaker. Honestly, he may be the weirdest, somewhat mainstream filmmaker now. Um, we can talk a little bit in a while, I think, about how Robert Eggers gets to a point where he can be deemed mainstream. And then, I guess when we talked with the Norman, what the, what the kind of the effect that has on his movie making and also what the expectations are of what a Robert Eggers film will be as a result of that. But this is someone who, let me think, have I got the centuries right now, has made a 17th century film about witches in New England, uh, film set in 1890 in uh, Lighthouse in New England again, right? Loves New England. Big New England guy. And then, going far, far away from New England... Um, takes on a Viking epic um, set, I think, around the ninth century. 
none of those things are commercial. There is scope for them to be commercial. If you just, not the lighthouse, but if you're just like, oh, film about witches. Well, you can get someone to listen to that pitch. Or, oh, a Viking epic. Not that they get made very often, but I think particularly, say, uh, post-Game of Thrones and post a different view of what kind of epic storytelling can look like, I think you get someone to listen to that. He makes choices, though, that take it so far away from where I think any kind of mainstream studio's expectations would be, where you get to stuff that you just don't expect to find wide audiences. And he makes it into something that works. And honestly, that's something I really, really like about him is I feel like there are a lot of people who would not watch a film like The Witch directed by any other filmmaker. And I have some ideas as to how they came to it with him in the first place and then how they follow his trajectory. I think The Lighthouse is a great example. A lot of the people uh, who love The Lighthouse just are never going to hear about a movie like that otherwise. Not to say there are movies like that otherwise. And that is interesting. Like that's when you make the comparison to Baz. There's both something there. But it's also, it's very easy to sell someone on Baz Luhrmann's vision of the world being commercial, being commercially viable, you know, big, romantic, colorful, musical stories. That's not a hard sell to be like, hey, people will come out to theaters, they'll part with their hard-earned money to go and see this. There is something very, very different about being like, oh, we're going to try and recreate contemporary language and have like these two wikis talking to each other in in the lighthouse or we're gonna have a true kind of 16th century new england vibe like that is that is something entirely different so that makes him a source of fascination for me uh i admire him more than i like his movies that's ultimately where i come down in that's not a slight in being like i that i don't think he's good i just I'm not interested enough in the things he's interested in to get the full way on the journey with him. I get a lot of the way there. And then at some point, inevitably, I find myself being like, this just needs something for me that's a bit more propulsive um, because there's only so much of the, like in the reads elements of this particular thing I can get to. And that's a really tough balance because it's what makes his work so unique, so individual, so compelling. But it is also which makes it very much for a niche audience, except for the fact he has broken out beyond that. And people feel like, oh, this is a guy like this is a guy. Um, I think he's one of the most interesting directors to have emerged in the last while, because to me, he is the ultimate A24 director. And when I say that, I mean, he is the director who I feel like his work has most benefited from the A24 buzz around the company. Um, In that, I don't know if The Witch gets seen, particularly with that cast at that time. And with the way that film is, if there's not 
the kind of marketing that went around the release of it, which was one of the more famous independent film marketing campaigns of the past 15 years or so, where they did all sorts of Black Phillip themed promotional stuff, um, including, I believe, a Black Phillip Twitter account that was very active at the time that got, I think, a younger audience, certainly than you would expect to be interested in that. I think a more mixed audience in terms of interests, in terms of appetite for art house cinema, like that's that movie is slow cinema. Like <laughs> there's zero doubts about it. And yet it made 40 million, was it you said? Um, According to Wikipedia. So yeah, well, Wikipedia is usually pretty reliable on those sort of things. That's that's impressive. And then The Lighthouse is something else again because you've got that and you get A24 going back, I believe, to produce, if I remember correctly, on The Lighthouse as well as distribute. And you get Robert Pattinson in there because of the buzz that The Witch got, the the way that release worked out, the platforming of that film. And The Lighthouse becomes a sensation to the point where like, I don't teenage girls were dressing up as Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe from the lighthouse for Halloween. That movie is not for that audience, but a 24 does capture some of that. And I think that is really interesting because it shows what can happen with really idiosyncratic, distinctive independent movies is there is a way for them to break out. And in his case, Eggers movies broke out so much that he goes straight to the norm, man. And it's no no longer even, we're not talking about A24 anymore. It's gone major studio. He managed to get Focus Features Universal to believe that it was a good idea. It was financially viable to give Robert Eggers, you know, up to $90 million to go and make a Viking epic. And that a Robert Eggers $90 million Viking epic was going to get people into theaters, get send them home happy uh, so much that, you know, word of mouth is going to propel you to, I don't know, a couple hundred million or a 300 million gross, which just bonkers, completely insane to everything that was possible. And he makes the films he makes and they're, they found an audience and they continue to find a bigger and bigger audience. That is really, really interesting. He is an incredibly skilled filmmaker. He is unbelievably knowledgeable when it comes to the history of cinema and what he's drawing upon. But there could be no debating that his interests, the things that he chooses to center, are very, very unusual and niche. And we don't generally see get this treatment in movies. And what's maybe something we'll talk a little bit more about later, I mean, his White Whale at the moment, the project that he's just keeps going back to keeps trying to get made and it just seems to come together and then fall true and come together and fall true is a Nosferatu movie, which in theory should be like the most easy to make thing there is out of anything he's ever looked to do. You've got IP, you've got classic movie, you've got classic legendary IP that's there and it's just, it's waiting for you. It hasn't come together. And I, I think there's something that is very interesting about what works for him, what people now imagine him doing and what's working and what's not. I believe he's working on a series based on the life of Rasputin. 
Um, like he's gonna keep doing his thing, and that is absolutely fantastic. And I'd want nothing else. I just wonder. I don't know. I wonder how viable it is. We'll talk some more about his reaction to the release and the the production process around the Norton and working with a studio and not necessarily having final cut. I think the way his career kind of goes from here is going to be fascinating, but he is a really interesting guy. That was a, that was a long monologue, Andrew, but I'm essentially, I'm trying to work through what I find interesting about him, which isn't just that, Oh, well, he's a talented filmmaker, which he very clearly is. It's more that he's kind of a phenomenon, except the ingredients that would make a director phenomenon in 2022 are not to be found in his movies, which makes it all the more interesting thing. Um, and I think maybe why I'm drawn to him is because of just the weirdness of the ingredients within these films, because I think thematically he's talking about a lot of stuff that, that really interests me. And I think he takes something basic and for me makes it compelling with both just the subject matter itself and then the undertones behind everything. I think, especially with The Witch, he really gets to the heart of like the entire history of the world's relationship with quote-unquote witches and like the Salem witch trials and what things like that are all about. And like at the end of the day, what what is The Witch about? It's about... Uh, the family being afraid of their daughter coming of age. I mean, we see so often throughout, the, I mean, it's, it's the, which is really a feminist power narrative <laughs> as you take it from beginning to end, which is fascinating and touching a little bit on the frailties of masculinity, uh, faith versus pride, faith versus faithlessness and how all these things are trying to combat one another at the same time. I mean, we get so many moments in this movie where the camera is focusing on, uh, the male characters in particular noticing uh thomason played by Anita joy and how she's gr- growing up and uh becoming more assured of herself as a woman and begins to question things within this very restrictive household i mean if, if you haven't seen the witch it's a like adam said a new england folktale about a family that is essentially exiled to uh by and kind of by choice to I guess uh, a Plymouth or Plymouth like area in the U S leaving England because their religious views are even more extreme than the church that they're a part of. And so tying all that together and then having that, uh, that witch story at the center, I think it's touching on a lot of these, like the, the view of women in general, especially powerful women that like stand up for themselves that has gone on through the history of humanity and also is still resonant on themes that come up today and cast that in the background of almost like a horror movie. I think the music in this movie is incredible and helps build the tension throughout as we get to this uh, big scene of catharsis and almost like a, a freeing of, of herself and things of that nature. I love the things that it's doing with color in this movie. There's, it's a very like kind of a gray, white kind of dreary setting. And then it's contrasted by moments of color, like the blood with the milking of the uh, goat or whatever it is. And then we've got the, the, the devil goat, black Phillip kind of running about obviously. And then 
the uh, baby blood ointment, for lack of a better word, is smeared, literally smeared in there as well. And then, um, and then when Caleb goes into the woods and meets the other witches and has a nice romantic moment there, there's the red, like, robe, satin type of outfit is there as well. So it's like the the dreary life that's surrounding Thomason and everyone contrasted with the, these moments of color which represents temptation fear and horror i don't know i think there's just a lot of going on in, in the witch that's very interesting and i just find myself despite it being a very slow drawn out process being compelled as it uh is kind of an obvious who done it but as that develops and and ends in a place where uh, we get that moment of catharsis that i mentioned i don't know i just i find and he's doing and he's playing on these themes a lot i mean that the it trends more into the frailties of masculinity in the lighthouse and the Northmen, but I think it started from from that area and it's just kind of continued to to peel back from there. And I just find myself very interested in subject matter around that. And also just especially in his first student films, like the claustrophobic nature of being trapped in a certain setting or a certain family in the witch and just how that relates to sort of being trapped in a prison of your own mind. So maybe I read into his films more than they're actually there, but that's what... No, no, I don't. You're falling into a trap here of defending these films because I don't love them, which is not... That's not right. I don't dislike them. Uh, Edgar's filmography is incredibly critically acclaimed, very popular among people. You just have to look at his grosses for that. Like, uh, the... The Nortman, for example, may not have made profit, but a film that weird still grows just under $70 million. That's not nothing. Like He's a filmmaker who draws. People respond to his movies. I don't think there's any debate over that. So you're not on trial here, Andrew, is essentially what I want to get across. Uh, If anything, I'm the one for not being just completely, you know, exuberant in my praise from who is in the minority. Um, I, I do think The Witch has a lot of interesting stuff beyond the kind of decor driving teams and the ideas of coming of age and feminism that you've talked about. Just uh, Eggers on puritanical ideas and I think just re- rigidity of belief and of ideas of obviously the family unit, which again ties back to a lot of that with feminism. But that is something that I it's it's probably the 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 element of the witch that works most for me is uh, watching Eggers. I think essentially lay out a case for you know the more puritanical you are, the more you create your own evils essentially, um, and it's not something that I would disagree with as as an idea. I think if you get so caught up in the idea of what's purely good and what's purely evil um you're you can become obsessed with that and you you end up leaning too close to one side or the other and really the lines from the outside from the outside of that bubble become a lot more blurred i think that's a a commentary on religion generally that i would find to be pretty accurate from my view i don't think extremism too i think is a better way to put it obviously there, there is room for more moderation, but this is certainly a film about extremism. If, if only he had warned me about trying that uh, with baseball teams. If only. 
was all there, Andrew. You just had to really dig deeper, had to think about it, had to just map it onto your own life and experiences. It could have could have worked out differently. Um, the Witch is a film that I think I respond to The Witch more than I respond to The Lighthouse in terms of subject matter and team. But I do think The Lighthouse is such a significant leveling up in terms of the formal kind of ideas and the techniques at play. And I know that is something that in the run-up to the Northman, he was particularly vocal about that. He basically just despises the witch now. He thinks it's really bad, um, which honestly meshes with just the way Edgar speaks and thinks about things and talks about things. Um, but he kind of has indicated he's kind of embarrassed by the witch now, which there's certainly no need for that. Um, but the lighthouse is doing a whole lot more in every single way imaginable um you get two legitimate stars in the mix in Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson and they have pretty amazing chemistry they play out uh truly I don't know gripping bewildering series of events um as we essentially watch the two men lose their mind fight to stay sane um, come to terms with their their lives, their realities, their pasts, their surroundings. It is truly, truly a film unlike any other I can think of. Um, it's one that I wish I had seen in the theaters just to see if people walked out. I I can't believe you didn't see this one. This must have been one in one of your droughts because this is more recent. I mean, that, that's something to touch on briefly because I talked that this is the first time I rewatched any of his films. I saw The Witch um, at home. Didn't have the opportunity to see that in a the theater. But the other two I did see on a big screen in a cinema. And I will say the effect of his movies on a big screen in a cinema is amplified even multiple times more then is generally true of any movie you know where on this podcast in particular people might come in and they'll hear me say you know there's there's the only way to watch movies is you know on the big screen if you've got a chance to go and see something it's out that's the only way to experience them i do think with the way eggers makes his films it truly unlocks something different and part of that is what he's doing technically and how accomplished he is and is now regular cinematographer, Jaron Blaschke, who is truly one of the best young cinematographers working. Um, but it's also because of his worlds being so weird, because they're always being something that's a little bit obtuse and is like by design, almost a barrier to the audience um, in the first two films in his career. Certainly it's the language they benefit from you being in a cinema where it's like you're you've when you've walked into the door, you already gave yourself over to this incredibly weird and wonderful experience. And that way you get wrapped up in it a lot more than I think you do when it's, you know, just on your TV at home. And I gave these, I gave these the home cinema treatment and I still, I found it to be much lacking compared to my memory um, in the theater which I do think is interesting. And maybe also like it points to 
the theatricality of his films and like the really kind of hyper stylized look, particularly of the lighthouse, just playing better, the bigger you can get it with a crowd of people. I mean, am I someone who laughs at fart jokes at home on my own, Andrew? No. Um, is that more amusing in a like full house of people who are just kind of baffled um, knocked off balance by the idea that in this movie they've come to see their fart jokes and honestly now at this point the Norman comes out and you're like oh look he's doing it again he's just Robert Eggers loves farts I guess Um, he must I think the reason it still worked for me I've seen so I've seen the witch five times I've seen the lighthouse three times this is so this was my second rewatch um, so I guess I guess you're right because going into this, I was going to say that that he is a director uh, that I really respect and enjoy, but I wouldn't put him like he wouldn't probably be in my top five favorites. And I guess in unpacking this, uh, I probably rewatch his movies a lot more than I rewatch other things. What's the movie I've probably seen most in my life, Adam? Do we have a guess? Probably everybody wants some. If I had to guess, uh, so. Do you have any other guesses before I of of movies that you've rewatched a lot? Yeah, what do you think I've rewatched the most in my life? At least La La since Land. we've known each other. La I, La La I think everybody wants some has topped it. I'm very skeptical a lot. Uh anyway. Yeah, the lighthouse is, is a movie that it it when you hear the description of what it is, you it could very easily fall into a description that we describe a lot of uh, less visual movies as which is like a play put on film like you hear two two guys in kind of a two-hander uh in a lighthouse descending into madness but it becomes so much more just because of what he's doing visually and just the the uh that one of the things that i've i tried to on my little note sheet here tried to distill like what i think of as through lines in his movies and one of the sentences I wrote was a degree of uncertainty around supernatural events. And this, this one's even more present here because I think uh, I really like where this is going in terms of uh, themes, because like I described myself in, in quarters on an Island uh, taking care of a, a lighthouse. I just have, have always viewed that room where they're in or they're together just butting heads and trying to survive and get by as just a a metaphor for like what it's like being trapped inside your own head when you can't control your thoughts your emotions and you're just spiraling into whether it's depression anxiety whatever it may be that's how i've always viewed kind of that whole story in that island it's it's just like the (laughs) the brain of someone that's uh losing control and losing their grip and I think that's just it's so much more heightened by just the the snapshots of the birds pecking away at things, the crazy uh, mermaid shots and the scrimshaw that will be used at a certain point for activities. And then just the the development of the relationship as they descend further and further into madness is so interesting to me. And this is when it comes down to Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson just being told, I guess, I don't know how this went, but it was just like, go, go in there, take like, here's what you need to know about your character. Just have a blast. And they just went out there and turned it up to 15, not even to 11. They just 
take it to the next level. And I love the character development as it, it also kind of hones in on that element of toxic masculinity. And, and by the end of it, it's like the line between respect and hate is so close. And you're wondering as, as Patton's, Pattinson's character is looking at Defoe for like emotional refuge as he's taking elements of his past and almost confessing uh it's like it boils over into hate but for so long it's just like he wants to be respected as he goes through this process and then eventually it just becomes too much and i I just love the just the the way it makes you feel crazy as you're watching it and a lot of that comes down to the black and white and the aspect ratio and just uh what it's doing to you visually um it's definitely a leveling up from the witch i i'm surprised to hear that he is ashamed of the witch or embarrassed by it uh it's like it's like when you have a like a musical artist and they're 20 years into your career their career and you like one of their older songs and they disavow it and then you wonder if you should feel like an idiot for still liking it (laughs) that's that's uh another uh uh revelation i'm having here on this podcast which is why i relate so much to the lighthouse because i often feel like i'm spiraling spiraling into a uh a storm and i'm pulled out the gin and then the turpentine with honey and I'm self-medicating. Let me let me accurately quote him because I've I've pulled up his quote on the witch. So this was an interview with the Guardian ahead of the release of the Norman. He said, "Honestly, I can't stand watching the witch now. It's not that it's bad. The performances are great, but I was not skilled enough as a filmmaker to get what was in my brain onto the screen." Uh, he continued in the lighthouse I was able to do that which is honestly a little unnerving that that's exactly what was in his brain I do know there's a story that I remembered from the time I actually see it's on the Wikipedia page Um, so I can give the exact quotes on this too but one thing I was going to say like this is very obviously where the witch certainly um, interrogates traditional family values uh patriarchal households ideas of masculinity the lighthouse is just about nothing other than toxic masculinity um i cannot think of a recent movie with as much just clear phallic symbols imagery it's just everywhere in this film the film is called the lighthouse um and that is not a coincidence really the way um the project's direction takes from there um accord i'll quote from the wikipedia here because there's the quote i remember and an anecdote i remember pattinson talking about in press so according to pattinson the phallic imagery of the lighthouse is explicit as eggers described it as an erect penis in the script the film was meant to include quote a very juvenile shot of a lighthouse moving like an erect penis and a match cut to Pattinson's actual erect penis, end quote. Although this cut was removed upon request by financiers. Not surprising the financiers thought, mm, maybe that isn't the way to maximize the audience for this. Um, you might have got a different audience. That, though, kind of gets to the heart of this movie. And I, I've already mentioned, like, the fart jokes in it. Like, it is a very juvenile movie. I think it's intentionally juvenile because it wants to show just how juvenile men are. 
I don't know if this uh, my my main thing rewatching this today. I I want it to just be a little bit snappier. That's that's my my only thing with the movie is I do think it's it's achieving a lot of what it really wants to and needs to, and there's a part where I'm like, I just wish then we could move forward a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, which is my ongoing issue i think with with his movies um that's not to be like oh it's not a, the overall pacing is a problem i just think even in terms of story at a certain point i wish it would just take a little bit of a step forward tiny bit faster and then we're we're moving it's not about oh we need quick cuts it's not about the filmmaking style eggers movies are very much slow cinema the Nortman, not quite as much although it certainly has its it's moments too. Um, the biggest thing on the rewatch that stood out to me that I definitely felt at the time, but I'd forgotten about is just how good Willem Dafoe is in this movie. He is the real star of the movie. Um, he is incredible. Like an actor who is just routinely great in character roles in recent years, but rarely has he had a chance to like turn it all the way up like he does in this film. And, he certainly makes the most of it. And to go back to, I guess, some of the ideas we're talking about, and you, when you start talking about this film, first off, you're like, it it does, it feels like a play. Like, it is, for all kinds of purposes, it is a play. But it's a play that is made by an actual film director who understands, okay, if I'm going to put this on screen instead of stage, and for those who don't know, Robert Eggers' background is in theater. He started as a set designer, a production designer, um, directed a couple of plays, I think very, very early on at a local level. And then that kind of got the bug, which ultimately led to him working in film. So that is kind of there in just the DNA of who he is, what his movies are, how he imagines um, telling his stories. He just happens to be very good at being like, okay, well, this is the setup, but how do I make this as cinematic as possible? And that is certainly something that I, I really appreciate. Uh, Adam, you know, I'm kind of hard on sticking the landing in movies. I like, I like to be either surprised or kind of have my socks knocked off in a subtle way, in a way that's like, not like I need some big, grand finale but i think of things uh that just surprise me or visually stand out in my mind and i think it, upon recollection i think this this has a very uh impactful ending that for some reason i did not quite remember the first time but how could i forget based on the end of that yeah i i wouldn't say the lighthouse is my favorite of his but it might be the one I respect the most just because of how fucking weird it is. Uh, the I think it takes it takes like uh, someone that really does not care to include all the juvenile aspects of this this film because no I, I, no, I no 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 the opposite it takes someone who really does care. Okay, that's, doesn't care. That's what people think. Back. How about that? Well, yeah, all he cares about is that he is making the thing most authentic to his vision, yeah, yeah, to yeah, how yeah. his story I... should be set. I mean, that also, like, that is an interesting 
that goes that back could be to, a non-starter for so many people you get to that point yeah but that, like, that also that goes back to the earlier point of knowing like there there is something smart and knowing in there like that is that is also what his films have become and his films aren't released and marketed certainly the first two weren't by a24 which is what shaped him in a way that you're getting people going expecting this really staid kind of period piece where that's not going to be a part of it and there is an element of it that does feel to me like that plays to the gallery and the gallery is not the sort of people who generally you would expect to be like oh yeah there's this great like black and white movie about these two guys stuck in a lighthouse losing their mind like that that's the part that really just kind of I, I like to think about with him that intrigues me like that is intent that's intent for what he's saying with his story but that is also one of the areas where it feels like he is aware of the audience and the way that his movies cross over to some degree what it is that's there and I guess the only way to put it is there's something primal um, in his in his movies and the type of stories he likes to tell that makes it connect to people in a way that it doesn't if stories like this were to come out from other filmmakers you make something that is much more kind of cookie cutter oh this is a story at this time this place so that's the the only reason i'm pushing back on that is i do think he's knowing enough like and i i don't even think it's about not caring what other people think because i think Robert Eggers strikes me as the kind of guy in an interviews. It's not that he doesn't care what people think. He will tell them he is right in what he thinks. Here is my vision. This is the best way to tell the story. And if you trust me on this, it is going to be the best version of what this can be. So it's, it's more someone who is just so committed to his vision and is going to sell everyone else on his vision. And if it's not for them, it's not for them. But you're only here because you want his vision, which again is part of the interesting thing because then you've got major studios being like, yeah, Viking Epic. That sounds like a blockbuster. And it's like, have you not watched this guy's two previous films? Well, that, that was the question I had next is it's, it's really hard to determine what in these first two films gave someone the idea to give him I guess originally it was supposed to be $65 million to make a Viking epic. And what were they expecting it to be is my big question. One, can work on a small budget and get the most out of the movie. That's what the witch is. The guy comes, has sleeper hit, modest hit in like big studio terms, but big hit for an independent like A24, particularly at that point in their history. So that's one thing. This guy has a very clear and distinct vision. He can work to a modest budget and he can get results. I think then what the lighthouse does is it says, oh, he's got some cachet. Like there's there's prestige attached to his name attached to his name. So when he comes up with this weird lighthouse idea, he can get Robert Pattinson to star in it and Willem Dafoe to star alongside him. And I think that's then when you're universal, you could be like, okay, this guy is going to give us our money's worth in terms of spectacle, which he does, no doubt on that. And that's what, honestly, with budget, he'd never had the chance to do before, like actual kind of traditional spectacle. 
Um, but also, oh, actors are interested in working with this guy and being like, oh yeah, I'm in the new Robert Eggers movie. And that's what happens. That's how you get Ethan Hawke showing up, uh, Nicole Kidman, Alexander Skarsgård starring, Anya Taylor-Joy coming back again because she loves work with him so much. Like, And that to me is what a studio sees. All of that is fine and good. And I personally think this is a good idea for studios. You should make some movies like this because the more movies you make where it's not a guaranteed hit, the more diverse your release like gets, the more viewers again will get accustomed to there are different types of movies. There are movies for grown-ups, and I might be interested in going to see them because there's now a broader mix. I don't just feel like, oh, well, I've got this type of movie, I've got this type of movie, I've got this type of movie. Which one will I see? Eventually, if filmmakers are trusted to go and make their thing, you open up the door for a film like The Northman to be a big success. I think at the current point in time, to expect it to go and make money, if that is in fact what Universal thought or Focus thought, that is really, really dumb. But I, I do think as if if there was a 10-year strategy and it's like, we're going to invest in interesting filmmakers, we're going to take gambles, some of them aren't going to make us our money back, but if we do this, we're going to make more interesting films and it increases the chance that we can make films for 40, 50, 60, 80 million that can gross hundreds of millions again. Because that's something that, like, not really a reflection on Eggers. It's just falling out of the market. And as we transition to the Norman, I mean, to get to that, a film made for reportedly between 70 to 90 million, which grows 69 million at the box office. Like, that budget is not common at all at all doesn't doesn't exist because things are generally comfortably over that budget or way way below um so that is really really striking it's interesting that they took that gamble does returning 69 million dollars make them say oh we would never do that again i would be concerned probably yes because it seems like that's how it is Hollywood is not exactly run by movie people now. It's run by like hedge fund managers and, you know, CEOs of mega corporations who don't really know anything about any of the stuff they now inherit. But that's like Elvis and the Norman are two of the most interesting movies this year because of the budget they were made with. And it's one thing Elvis being made for $85 million when Baz Luhrmann's the director. We talked last week about his proven track record of turning profit on those kind of budgets. And more than that, when Elvis Presley is the subject of your movie. But it's another to go with the Norman. I think it's a very, very clever move if you know how to leverage it in the right way. And based on how Robert Eggers spoke about his experience, I don't know, for example, if they've built up any kind of goodwill with him that will see him being like, yeah, I'm going to work with Focus and Universal, and I'm going to make all of my weird films for the rest of my career, and you know, things are going to actually scale up successfully. I don't think that's going to happen. But I will say, I think that combination has resulted in his best film. I do not believe that is the consensus opinion right now. He himself has talked 
about not getting final cut, having to compromise in places, and just generally, I guess, some of the flying by the seat of his pants filmmaking that went into making a movie like this when he'd never done it before. I think all of that comes together in a way that to me is the most interesting thing he's done. Um, to me also points to if he was someone who was willing to find a, I don't know if he developed a good relationship with a studio or even had a, see the kind of, the kind of producers for good reason. They were, they all have, uh, they've all disappeared from the film industry. The kind of high-minded producers who also knew how to make money and you had to negotiate between, you know, the art and commerce elements of movie making. They're all kind of gone. But this to me feels like a movie that if Eggers was to find a producing partner who was really good at just walking that line, he could find a way to make his movies while also having someone who knows just how to rein them in and make it commercial enough. Like, I think that this is a really kind of interesting experiment as such on Eggers' part, working with a big studio and on a big studio's part in working with him. What are your thoughts on The Northman, Andrew? I think The Northman is a, another example of him leveling up and taking it to the next level. And while I wouldn't say it's my favorite of his films and one like if I'm gonna rewatch one, I'd probably rewatch The Witch, even though I wouldn't necessarily say his films fall under the "Hey, it's movie night, let's just throw on a movie." Uh, that being said, all your comments about him not getting Final Cut and kind of the tumultuous relationship he might have working with production companies, I still think there's enough of his DNA in this film that it still feels like a sure. a very weird world that he's created. I mean, we get that right away just from the like very self-important, self-serious, gruff, masculine dialogue and Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe just chewing on the scenery, doing some sort of ritualistic dance where farts come into play once again. Adam, like you said, maybe that's, this is just like farts are his muse. Who knows how this goes? Um, and I think it, it's... I mean, I personally think that this still has a degree of, hey, this can be a mainstream big screen movie. Obviously, I didn't see it on the big screen, but I mean, it's got it's hyper violent. It's got great. Uh, I don't know if th this is the term for the type of shot, but we've got tracking shots of him just marauding through villages uh, pillaging. I mean, it's it's got some of the things that have mass appeal for audiences. You know, it's especially American audiences. We sure do love violence and it's got that, and then certainly violent. Yeah, it's. I I keep coming back to. I think uh, I think someone at a studio uh, read the line in the script. Um, I'm trying to remember, I wrote it down. Avenge father, save mother, kill uncle, and they were just like, it's like Arya's list from Game of Thrones. It's perfect. We're gonna go on this, but yeah, I mean, it's tells the story of Amleth, which I guess was the uh, myth that it's Hamlet Sandler. was based on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's I mean that's it's, probably what's working to his advantage here in getting this made too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, like, and I like how it again doubles down on the themes of, of masculinity. And I think one of the things that it asks is what does it even mean to be honorable? What is prophecy? What is destiny? 
and does it all matter? And we get to the point where it's just like we realize that these patriarchal systems uh, set up by men for men where uh, all they care about, I think Nicole Kidman's character says at one time, is like his gold and his horses or whatever. It's just all about the battle and the conquering and just having the most standing and the most power. And the women involved are thought of as property. And so it, again, just keeps is there's a through line through these three films with this subject matter. And I think wrapping that into just a pretty straightforward revenge epic works really well. Uh, we've got the expansive shots of Northern Ireland cosplaying it as Iceland, I think is what we determined after the last time we talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's visually his most quote unquote pretty film. I think this film just really looks gorgeous. There's, I mean, and then we've got these just like, fantastical shots of either it's hallucinating or just vision questy type of things and uh molten hot lava and magma where if you if you stuck your fingers inside ethan hawk's gut do you not think you'd see similar uh (laughs) i mean i'm pretty sure that's what ethan hawk is comprised of uh yeah and then i i think uh I, the first time I thought the uh, the romance of it all was kind of is where the film dragged. But by the time I got to it this time and again, maybe a total misread of the film, we get to a point where he has to choose between one thing or the other. And he makes just the absolute dipshit decision <laughs> just to like complete that uh, revenge fantasy epic. And uh, I in my mind, like I get to the end of this film and it's just about how stupid men are. And that I may be the only one that feels that way, but like I feel uh, like it, it's really high. It, I mean, he's Ambleth is real dumb. Let's let's just be honest. He's a fucking moron. <laughs> he's not thinking rationally. I mean, that's certainly accurate. I I don't disagree entirely with what you're saying. That's definitely there in the movie. I don't think that is the movie in this case. I think this one is much more complex, much muddier waters, in part because of the Nicole Kidman character, Amlet's mother. Um, certainly adding plenty, plenty of shades of grey um, to female power in this film as well. Uh, like Part of me is less, less inclined to analyse this film. Because it, it truly is like, this is just old school legend. And part of it also feels like at a certain point in the movie, Eggers just lets it rip and is like, yeah, let's just, this revenge movie. Like, it's, it's, it's not actually about analyzing his decisions. It's just, you know, everyone wants to see two naked guys battling to the dead on a, like, soldering volcano. That's what the people and, are here for. Let's give it to them. I think that's kind of ultimately where Eggers goes with it. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with that. And also like that again, that comes back to he is a very, very intelligent guy with very, very literate interests. His movies are not highbrow. Like there is this clash of high and lowbrow at the heart of all of his films. 
And in this case, there, I think more than any other, there is the willingness to just be like, yeah, sure, let's just let it rip. I mean, I may never get this budget again. I may never be able to work this scale. If you worked off those assumptions, I think it was probably a good idea to work off those assumptions because even just the fact this came in quite a bit over budget, um, that's that's not going to help them in getting this kind of budget to work with again. But I don't know. My brain disengages with this more than the others. And I don't think that hurts his movies. Like when I mentioned earlier that with the first two, I'm looking for something propulsive at some point in his film to, I don't know, kind of refocus where it is. And the mantra that you already kind of alluded to, uh, I will avenge father, I'll save you mother, I will kill you filmer. Yes. That that is your that is your anchoring point. That is the propulsion for this film. And every time it needs to kind of, you know, in a Google map sense, you've you're using it for directions and you've been looking somewhere else, you need to, you know, recenter, you need to re it it does that in a way that I'm very fond of. Like I, I just think that is a great element of this and um, particular story, one as just a piece of writing, not anything complicated going on but very effective you know good for trailers good for the movie good for sticking in people's uh minds long after the fact he does have a knack for that sort of thing too um when i think of the lighthouse i immediately think of why'd you spill your beans uh like that's there's there's these kind of mantra-esque lines that repeat in in eggers films and they kind of lodge into your brain as as you watch them but I, I do think in this case, that is something that anchors the movie makes sense. And then if that's going to anchor the movie, spoilers, I, I mean, just we're kind of talking pretty free throughout this one, but spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the Northman and who still wants to. As much, Andrew, as your logic might be, hey, just go off and live the peaceful life with Anya Taylor-Joy, you big idiot. Uh that is not true to the movie, true to anything that's happened to that point. Um, and I don't know, I guess history could repeat itself in other ways if he doesn't go and take on his own destiny. Is That's the story the movie wants to tell. Like, is that smart on his part, on the movie's part? No, but we all know that. Like, that's why this stuff is relegated to history and myths and legends and to some extent, as a species, we've evolved since this point, just to some extent. Um, but I, I do I, think like the, the movie has a clear it has a clear kind of moral compass of its own, not a moral compass in a, you know, what's the 2022 view of this? It's very much what is right for this era we're telling the story in for these characters and for this story. And that's it. It sticks to it very rigidly. And I, I think that makes it very effective. I would have uh, treated it like winning game six and I'm going back home for game seven and been like, all right, I'm going to live happily with Anya Taylor. No, but it, no you, that's not it. You'd be just, you would have won game six and you would have no showed for game seven. No, I, that's my road game. You got to come no, play you, me in the that's home not game. Your, no, that's not how that's going to happen. Come on. 
That's you'd be just he has to go play game seven. He hasn't won yet. That's what it is. And he lost. So he, jokes he on him. This is, look, you play the game, this is what happens. The game in this case is very different. To he should have game in, seven. He should have won in six, is what should have happened. Oh, yes, in this scenario, he is winning game six. He should have burned down the arena so they couldn't play game seven. He should have won game six and then killed everyone in the arena. Um yeah, I mean, I think this is why I'm surprised that the audience scores on this for so low. It's just because I think that aspect of it just plays really well. At, no, I think that I think once it gets once it gets past a, a few certain That's, things, and it's okay. So I saw this in the theater. The place was emptying out within 20 minutes. Emptying really? out. It's not. It's not the movie people think they're going to see. They're like, oh, big Viking epic. They're like, this is going to be really classical studio. It's like one, like I remember, did, uh, I don't know if I'm actually imagining this, which is entirely possible. If it wasn't like a group of nuns that came in to see this film, it was a group of elderly women who resembled nuns at the screening I was at. They were gone very quickly, unsurprisingly. Maybe it was a, a gentle minion situation and they were just dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been if everyone just went to Nortman as nuns. I mean, I've I've heard of worse campaigns this year to try and get movies back in theaters or make them profitable. But Listen, the, the place was you... emptying out. Like, and that is the thing. I think this movie is the studio movie. And he was forced to concede a lot of ground that he definitely didn't want to. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was shot as old Norse that was replaced as English in ADR because it tested terribly. People did not understand what was going on. People had no time for it. And I guarantee you the test audience that gets pulled in for a universal release is very different than the test audience that gets pulled in for an A24 release. Are you so, saying for A24, they're getting people like me and you to the, uh, to the test screenings? Well, they're, they're more aware of what their actual audience is going to be like when it lands in theaters. Like it's it's not as broad, and that's honestly the thing that has made them as successful as they have been, and also someone like Neon since that. It's you know what's really good kind of market, lots of money to be made, niche. Like if you can go and make things to fill the niche, go and do that. You don't need to compete for the bigger slices of the pie out there. If you try and bring something that's niche and be like, here you go, everyone, and then by the time like you get to that sequence, I think the movie starts on very stable ground, very steady footing. And by the time Ethan Hawke is on all fours barking, I like people are starting to be like, what the hell is this? And it gets back to a place that is much more studio friendly. And I think that first raid sequence, there are certainly that got some people out too, because it's too violent, but that could happen at any time. There are also people, though, that if they got that far into the movie, they're going to be like, oh, hell yeah, this is interesting. You know, I, I just think there's there's so much of him there that does not necessarily mesh with the average viewer who's into the kind of, I don't know, virtuoso violence that we get in that opening raid. And we get it moments later in the movie. Like when Bjork shows up, if any of the people who are like on the fence make it that long, that sequence, that's probably clearing some people out too. You know what I mean? It's I I don't feel like my experience in a theater was gonna be all that different to a lot of them, which I think this is 
like probably all of his films to date, a walkout heavy experience. The Lighthouse definitely got loads of walkouts because people thought it was a horror. Even though The Witch wasn't really a horror. Trailer certainly made it look more horror than it was. People are like, oh yeah, I'll go see this. <laughs> got a very different movie. Like that's, he is going to have the worst cinema scores for the entirety of his career unless he is relegated to just being an art house filmmaker. I guess I have a a higher bar for walking out than most people. Have you ever walked out of a movie, Adam? I walked out of a movie this week. Really? First first time I've done that in quite a few years. But I have done it. I mean, I see a lot of movies. And sometimes you're just like, yeah, uh, this isn't it. This isn't it. And I could go and get something to eat. And I could go and get home now. And I do it. Yeah, for sure. But if you're the type of mo- person that's I'm going not, to I'm see not prolific. a movie, I, I don't, I don't walk out out of disgust. I don't walk out, out of boredom. Yes, would probably be deleting. I'll, I'll did the film I walked out of was, where is Anne Frank? The new Ari Fullman animation. Uh, Ari Fullman, best known as the director of the Academy Award nominated Walter Bashir. And I was just expecting something a little bit more grown up than I got. Um, I thought it was a different kind of animation than it was. It looks absolutely stunning. And I was just like, this is too fantastic and childlike for me for this particular story it's telling. I'm not feeling it. Let me go get some nachos and get home. <laughs> like, and and that's that's one part. Like, I can think of... An, one other film that I really just was like, I can't do this anymore, which is quite a few years ago now, was Zoolander 2. Just about as bad as any comedy film ever made, it feels like. Truly atrocious. The sequel to one of the best mainstream comedy films of the past 30 years or so. Um, and I remember just being that and being like, this is just terrible. It's not funny. It's boring. It's actively grating. Was it my buddy? We're like, this is, this is crap. We go get food. Yeah, let's go get food. So I do walk out occasionally, but I would never. I've seen too many movies, Andrew, for I'm going to walk out of disgust here. <laughs> I've seen too well, much stuff already. You know, that's some, some violent raids are not going to get me being like, this is too much. I'm outraged. I'm leaving. It's more. More likely if I'm yawning and I'm like, what's the point of this? You know, I could get out of here, have some tea, get home, watch something else. All that is to say, I ask to respond with, if you walked out of the Northman, anyone that's listening, fuck you. Sorry. That's just how I feel. Uh, If you can't just get through the weirdness and the belching and the farting and uh, Ethan Hawke being a dog and Willem Dafoe doing whatever to get to violent field hockey... and a big uh, that's, that's showdown. Basically, a... That was basically hurling, which was interesting based on his shot. Um, do you not? Do you not see that though? And completely understand why people would walk out of that. Oh yeah, I do. You do. You do. Like because you already said, like this is not but, the movie you're gonna fire up a home for date night. Like it's. But it turns into something 
No, no it I doesn't. Think it, it's, it's, it's entertaining. It's entertaining in the I middle. Agree. After you get part, after after I, you get part, past the weird stuff, it becomes pretty. Like it's still it's still his style and all, a little off the beaten path. But it's. I mean, I think it's. I don't know. People just need to open their minds. It pisses me off. I, like I agree. I agree with that entirely. But I don't live in the fantasy world where people will actually do it. <laughs> like you've got more options than me. Like this is. There is elements of challenging visceral art at play here in this movie that played in big multiplexes around the world. I can't remember exactly what was out at the same time as it. Now I'm trying to think, like, what Marvel movie was it opposite, or what? Like, this is not, and this this is my point I might, too. I about... might walk out of Thor just to prove a point. I, you're not proving a point to anyone. I'm going to sneak in, not give them any money, and then I'm going to walk out. No, notice. they won't care. They'll be so engrossed. They'll be busy cheering at the screen. Oh, I, God. I, I just, I, I, this is, though, this is my point in that I think, like, there is, there is an opportunity still, again, to go back to the likes of A24 uh, and them being the example because of the work they've done with Eggers and developing that. Like, they have proven that you can get people to all sorts of films that they may not necessarily be going to otherwise. True marketing. Very simple. Uh, honestly, you know, strategy as old as Hollywood, but something that Hollywood has not been as good at for quite some time. If films this challenging were being released by major studios... So that every week, no matter where you were playing wide, you could go to your local multiplex and you could stumble into something that was like this. I'm and I'm just I'm not saying that like we're talking about this level of violence everywhere. I'm not I'm not suggesting we start some kind of moral panic, um, but just in terms of something as distinctive, as bold, as interesting, doesn't matter whether it's ultimately successful or fails. Um, as a piece of art, I think if a studio was committed to doing that on a on a meaningful scale, you will again. This is what seventies Hollywood was. This is how, literally how it came about. Was the system was falling on its face? The whole thing was just collapsing. Nobody knew what to do. Studios were willing. They were desperate. They took gambles on young filmmakers. And all of a sudden, a flood of interesting, challenging stuff landed in cinema. So if you're going to see a movie, you almost by default had a very good chance of landing at something that was going to challenge you. And what happens? Your audience gets smarter to get more open-minded. That is not the landscape for movies in 2022 at all. It's the complete opposite. Couldn't be further away. So that's why you're going to get walkouts. And I don't blame people. Uh, I wish they were better. Like I blame I, them. Fuck no, them. no, it's you. It's Hollywood's problem. It's it's not mm. the audience's problem. You're. This is an, an interesting conversation. I don't know how far we should go into this, but you've got to. Maybe you give an audience more credit than I do. The audience will uh, like what you serve up to them. This is this is the reality. If you serve up I, one, I, one I thing, I genuinely think people are stupid and. Well, we're coming from the same but place then. I, I don't, th well, I think we've evolved to the point where you can train them to think <laughs> the way that 
apparently we were able to but that's always always been the case it's always been the case i think people are dumber idiocracy ever see that we were in that people look people are i mean we know what's happened to people's attention spans and the reason why that's happened i can't recommend a movie to certain subsets of my friends but what what are like we talk about attention spans what are the most popular movies on the planet and how long are they generally three hours about people in pajamas going and destroying cities <laughs> and then the Irishman comes out and I'd, what are we now like four years later and people are still making jokes about like they're watching 10 minutes of the Irishman a night to kind of it's like no this is the, the predominant movie culture if it goes close to that length it doesn't quite go to that extreme but if it got close to it, people would eat it up um, everyone watches TV. People sit down and they'll binge eight episodes of TV in a night. They watch eight hours of TV. I just think when it comes to movies, the onus is on Hollywood to be better, to be smarter, to take risks. Because people still go. It is Not everyone is me. Certainly not me. Not everyone is you either, though. And I, I think that's the thing is the average moviegoer is still someone who they're going to the movies. They're not going to see film X. They're going to the movies. And then it's just a matter of what's on, what's on at a time that suits. They're going to go. They're going to have drinks before. They're going to have dinner after. And it's what, what do we go? What do we go see? They're going to the movies. And what you put there is going to define their taste. And for quite a while now, what's there is very little. It's all much of a muchness. There is no diversity. There is no range to it. And you end up with people with a very narrow palate. And that's how something like the Norman, which, yes, does become a conventional, like, epic, action epic in parts. People are not accustomed to being challenged by some of the stuff that's there early on. They're just not. So they're like, what the hell is this? I'm out. And the other thing that we've got to consider with that is, that is how people respond now because they fire something up on Netflix. They start watching it and have 10 minutes. They don't like it. What do they do? They turn it off and they watch the next thing and they watch the next thing or even better. And this is honestly the most accurate description you could give to society's viewing habits in 2022. What do they do? If people, if they fire up something new on Netflix, on prime, on Apple, we can use whatever streaming service. And they watch some of it, they don't like it. What do a lot of people do next? Uh, Yell about it on Twitter? No. What are the most valuable properties for streaming companies? What are Uh, are the TV show? But more specifically, they go watch something they've watched before and they know they like. They go watch The Office. They go watch Friends. They watch it over and over and over again. That's what Marvel is. <laughs> it's like, oh, these characters, we know these things now. It's what Star Wars is. Like, and what Star Wars has become more and more so. Like, that is that is where movies are at. Do I like it? No. But you've got to, as you know, like over the course of us doing this podcast, there'll be a movie that you'll hear about that I might talk about that you might come across and you know, a letterbox from people you follow or from accounts you follow on Twitter. And you'll be like, oh, I really want to see that. And then it comes out. And then you're like, where the hell can I see this? 
and you end up at some theater you, you don't normally have to go to. You had this for a Wes Anderson film, not even something like super niche. Like that is the reality of it too, which is if you are adventurous, open-minded and actively seeking to expand what you see, is it convenient? No. <laughs> it's down to, down to the studios. It's down to distributors. It's down to the exhibitors. Simple as. This is a much more interesting conversation than I thought we were going to I have. watched all of Hillbilly Elegy. I watched all of The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I watched all of The Suicide Squad. I hated every minute of it, but I watched all of it. Got to the end. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. It's, I, I just, so I blame For everyone. you, is this really everybody. just about walkouts? Is this just I, that uh, idea to you? Is... Or I, I put the onus on both audiences and studios and i think if you engage with something not like with you you're seeing four movies in a day something's not working for you you need some of that time back you work a lot you see a lot of movies you're a man with not much time you're setting yourself up all right we're going to our one movie of the month and you get into the northman and it's not working for you after 20 minutes and you're just wasting all that money i think you're an idiot personally but I I get your I, argument about I don't know I don't know and like I'm I'm the ultimate I'm the ultimate <laughs> cinema theatrical. I'm not backing off of this. I I'm just I'm doubling down. I'm blaming everybody but me. I'm the only one that's not to blame <laughs> in this at all. The Milwaukee Brewers have broken my brain, and I'm Let's pissed off that. at everyone. They they're doing fine. They're just just lit a series. It's the yeah, best team in baseball. Things are going great. Don't I think what, what could be and, wrong with you? I'm preaching to the choir, but I think that as I, mean, I, I think I tend to like too much almost. Uh, when I go to see something, I'm typically going in to look for the good, and that does not happen all the time. Like I said, uh, with the eyes, you, eyes you like Tammy movies, Faye. yeah, and like something like that's gotten pretty mixed reviews. Something like Bullet Train, very stupid movie, and ends in a spot where it doesn't quite stick a landing. But I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. As did I. And, and I don't know. It's it's like I feel like there's that, you're, there's so see, much space. There's so much space for people to embrace different things. And you're saying it's it's what they're being served, and that's true. And I think there's also just in. I mean, what, what gave us the no attention span society that we have today? Because that's to your point what we can trace it back to and that people won't give something a chance and engage with it is it streaming is that what it is like as soon as it was like content, no, content it's the internet content. the internet it's like because it's let's not pretend that other movies or tv shows competing with each other it's youtube it's tiktok it's what are you gonna search in your phone it's every app on your phone it's like it's the internet it's technology it's all the stuff that we've opened up and we, we can't <laughs> we, we need we need to get someone of this era Rohan Kadi on this podcast <laughs> to explain to us why his generation has no attention span. But uh, yeah, that yeah, is that's, true. Uh, I, mean, that's, I don't want to represent Rohan like that. Rohan definitely has an attention span. I don't know if he's interested in movies though, which is he's also never, like... He's never seen Silence of the Lambs. So, but that, uh, <laughs> but that's... I, we, won't, we won't talk about he's not here to defend himself. We'll bring him on and we'll personally attack him at a later date. Uh, but that is also interesting. And that's like... I could get that too, though. It's if you're not curious enough to go back and 
like I fell in love with movies not because of what I was seeing in like 2006 to 2008 when I really got into movies. That was not what did it. What did it is going back. It's seeing like what 70s cinema was. It's like seeing Taxi Driver for the first time and being like, whoa, like that says something though. It's not everyone is going to do that work. Not everyone has someone no different to music, literature, anything else. Not not everyone has someone in their life who can point them in the direction and be like, oh, you look for something to watch. You should watch this. And that that's important. And that comes back to the idea of like people can only get on board with things that they're served up. It's like if you're if you're in a place that has very limited food. If you're in a small town somewhere and everything is just local cuisine and it's all very basic, there's nothing interesting. Is your palate ever going to be broadened? Are you ever going to be? No, it's impossible. That's not how it works. Like, I, I do think that is very much represented what's happening. And I I am on board with you. This is the part of it. I'm on board with you. But I, for no second, like, I understand you let alone me, you are completely different to the person we are talking about, like to average moviegoer, to the people who will walk out of the norm and to the average person who just bought a ticket to go and see it. They're not you or I. They never were, even in the boom times of moviegoing. You know, that level of audience member, that was not the norm. And the deeper and deeper I get on my journey with movies and my love and appreciation for cinema the more i understand and just accept like this is not what everyone else is it's not where everyone else is at this is still one of the most dominant forms of popular culture that has ever existed still very much capable of being that but the people who are in control of it the people in charge of making it they're not what they once were you know, all the business interests from top down. Maybe it's a, maybe some time we'll have a conversation about this. We'll just have a It's not about movies and we can talk about all this stuff. But the business interests from historically, you know, where everyone's motivations would have come into what a movie should be, what type of range of movies we want. Basically, everything that built the theatrical experience, that's gone. That's That's gone. The people in charge are the same people who you know are they're parts of the same companies that we can blame for ruining everyone's attention spans like that's the reality of it it's like oh this great new movie's out where is it it's on apple tv plus or oh you go to prime for this like we're it's it's all the one and those people aren't necessarily interested in making movies for the same reasons that people were in the past anyway i i'm very satisfied that we got into I think what makes Robert Eggers such an interesting figure in modern movie making, because he has profile way beyond that little niche community. He is not a celebrity. He is not the person that everyone at the Nortman will know about. But even within the industry, enough people have come to know about him and believe in him in a way that allows walkouts at the Nortman because it opens wide enough. It gets enough of a marketing budget there's posters and like i don't know billboards and buses and everything and people are like yeah let's go see that movie that is its own kind of source of fascination and curiosity for me all right andrew 
Next week, we're going to talk about another uh, contemporary filmmaker with three films to his name and an ability to draw big audiences to go and see things. We're going to talk about Jordan Peele. That means, of course, we're going to talk about Get Out and Us, but we are going to primarily focus on his recently released third feature film, Nope. A note, generally, on next week's episode. All I'm going to say is, if you're listening to this point, subscribe to the feed and keep your eyes peeled. There are some big things in the pipeline. Some changes may be coming. We'll have some more news for you very, very soon. Um, But yeah, I think as things stand, I would say next time you hear from us, some things will be different and we can catch up on all of that then and we'll have plenty of exciting news. So not only do you have Nope to look forward to in our conversation next time, but more, more beyond that. Mystery, Andrew. Maybe I'll yell more. That's something I don't do often. Listen, it happens a few times a week now that I speak to you. <laughs> so I, I can't rule it out. Definitely. And I think, you know what? Maybe it's in play next week. We'll find out. All right. That does it for now. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. As I said, subscribe to the feed. You'll, you'll be on the inside when we reveal our big news. You should also follow Andrew and I on Twitter. I'm at AdamEagle11. Andrew's at AC Snide. If you walked out of the Nortman, please send Andrew a tweet. It will not end poorly for either of you. I can guarantee it. Yeah, I I only don't want tweets if you're taking issue with my Milwaukee Brewers takes. Send me as many Northman takes as you want, and I'll just tell you to fuck off. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you does also take issue. That's fine. I'll tell next time, everyone. Thanks again for this day. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. I don't hate you.